Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. I remember Paul McCartney coming into our dressing room and saying, well, you know, I've got this new song, would you like to hear it? So he, he played it and it was yesterday. He sang it to Scrambled Egg, like Scrambled Egg. You know, it was a great experience. I was actually learning to become a, an actuary, which uh, they work in uh, life insurance, you know, and they're very highly paid. And I think sometimes, oh, I might have had a, a lot more money than I have now. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 49 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks as always for hitting play. Now, this will be the last interview episode until the new year. I'm taking a little break. I'm going to be back at the end of January after a rest and a chance to get some more big names in the bag. Just like today's guest, we are going out before Christmas with a good one, I tell you. There's going to be some special shows getting released, though, so the classic rock will keep coming your way. Don't worry. But right now, I'd just like to take this moment to say thank you to you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the podcast, engaging on social media, spreading the word and generally coming along on the ride with me. It can be a lonely thing making a solo podcast, although I do get to speak to some big name guests, of course, which is brilliant. But once it's kind of recorded and published and out there, that's that's kind of it. It's just out there in the ether. So it is always heartening to get messages or emails from you, which makes it all so much worthwhile. And it really does, I tell you. So thank you very much from me, sincerely, for this last, what, 14 months we've been doing this. Now, before we hear from today's brilliant guest, let's get to the shout-outs on the show. Hello to Ron Lemons, who was in touch after finding Vintage Rock Pod on YouTube and getting in touch on Facebook. Hello to Andy Old as well. He's been brilliant at sharing Vintage Rock Pod as usual and getting in touch with some great ideas. To Dave Webb as well, who's been in touch, who found the show recently. And to Elijah Groves, who's in touch by email with some very kind words. It was lovely to hear. Thank you very much. Some of the chat on the social channels this week centred on people's favourite Scottish bands, musicians and singers, seeing as though it was St Andrew's Day. Friend of the show, Joseph Kay from Play That Rock and Roll podcast said, There's many good options, but Bon Scott is head and shoulders ahead of almost any rock vocalist. 
Jokul Borhi and Dan Tomaski both said Nazareth. 80s Rewind again said Simple Minds and Mikkel Verhus said Runrig. Now there's a shout for traditional Scottish rock, I tell you. On Instagram, Bella Lugosis said The Vaselines, a band that are pretty much synonymous nowadays with their connection with Nirvana. Kurt Cobain loved them and covered many of their songs famously. And uh, Dassey Girl said Midjur All Day Long. I love those shouts. So many great acts to come out of Scotland. Personally, I'd say it's between Big Country and Simple Minds for me. But thanks to everyone who joined in this week with the chat and others too. If you haven't already, please do check out the social channels. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod, especially the YouTube channel at the moment where I post videos of the interviews I do, which is pretty cool to see. So without the way, let's crack on with this week's guest, a legendary drummer with a legendary group, one inducted into the Hall of Fame in just the third year of the Rock Hall's existence, entering at the same time as the likes of Johnny Cash, Jimi Hendrix and Ike and Tina Turner. That's the level that this band are at. I'm talking about the Yardbirds, a band so big in the 60s their guitarists included three bona fide legends, Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page and Eric Clapton. All three were in the top five of Rolling Stone magazine's greatest guitarists of all time list. Now, today's guest is the only ever present member of the band. He's been there, seen it and done it with all of them. Jim McCarty. Now, the Yardbirds straddled so many defining styles of the 60s. Blues, rock, psychedelia. They were early pioneers of what kind of became the sound of heavy metal as well. They were known for what they called their rave-ups, the instrumental breaks in the performances and the dueling lead guitars as well. It's all kind of brand new. Now, although the band's life was pretty short-lived and they lasted only about five years from 63 to 68, their catalogue and legacy cannot be undermined. So with that background, here it is, my chat with legendary Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, yes, another one on the show, Jim McCarty from the Yardbirds. Now I'm delighted to be joined by a legendary musician who introduced innovative, groundbreaking styles into the early days of rock and psychedelic music in the 60s. He kept the beat for some very famous hits and some very famous musicians over the years and is now the only ever-present member of the Yardbirds. My pleasure to welcome to Vintage Rock Pod, Mr. Jim McCarty. Hi, Jim. Hi, Paul. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to, to have you here on the show. Now, as we said there, the, the, the Yardbirds, I mean, such a, a legendary, iconic group. And you were recognised when you were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, and that was in the early days of the institution as well, back in 1992, along with Jimi Hendrix Experience, Ike and Tina Turner, Johnny Cash. I mean, absolute legends. So let's start there. I mean, talk to me, Jim, about the Rock Hall, your experience on the day, the event, what it meant to be inducted alongside those luminaries and looking back and, and reflecting on it now well the funny thing was that um um johnny cash was inducted as you said and um he was one of our idols you know when we were at school we used to have a school band and we used to play johnny cash songs <laughs> there i was standing on stage right next to him you know, at the ceremony which was fantastic um uh, you know, unfortunately, um, Jim and Jimmy, it wasn't there, you know, Jimmy Hendrix, but um, it, it was a great night seeing, you know, so many uh, other people, Carlos Santana and B.B. King and Keith Richard, 
Yeah, it was great. It was very nice. And how did it feel being inducted that early in, into proceedings? Because like we said, it only it only been going a couple of years by that point, hadn't it? And to, to be recognised so early on that you were such an influential group must have been amazing. Yes, I'm not sure what the rule is. Is it uh, so many years after uh, after you played or something? I don't know what it is. It's some, there's some ruling. And we did get put forward the year before, but it didn't happen. Oh, I thought it might be coming, but it, it, it's amazing. All of a sudden, you know, you realise what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so such an iconic group, a legendary band. I mean, but going back before that, I mean, you worked in the stock exchange, didn't you? You weren't, <laughs> it wasn't always uh, the rock and roll lifestyle. You worked in the stock exchange and you had to speak to your boss about getting some time off to go or go away and play with your band, didn't you? Well, actually, I, I yes, I worked, uh, I worked in the stockbroker's and I, I spoke to my boss actually about leaving the job because I thought, oh, you know, the, the group's going to carry on. And I, and but I said there was there was one uh, condition, you know, could I come back? Just <laughs> 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 you know, sort of a couple of years time, could I have my job back? And he said, oh yes, of course, you know. But uh, of course, that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> thankfully, thankfully. Um, did you ever get in touch and, and see if the job was still there? I don't know. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I was actually learning to become an, an actuary, which uh, they work in uh, life insurance. You know, they're very highly paid, and I think. I think sometimes, oh, I might have had a, a lot more money than I have. Now. <laughs> but. but I'm, wouldn't have been the same lives, but I must say. Absolutely, absolutely. So in the early days, I mean, let's talk about the, the Crawdaddy Club. I mean, you guys took over from the Rolling Stones, didn't you, with, with the residency there? Yes, yes. They, they, they used to play every every Sunday, and then they got too big. I think they started having a couple of hits, and they went off. I think they went off on a nationwide tour, you know, on the cinemas, and they were looking for someone else. And we went to Giorgio Gromowski, who was a, promoter of the club and we said we got we got him to come down to one of our rehearsals well, he told us later that he was walking up the stairs and he heard us playing and we were doing one of those rave ups you know one of those build-up things and he, he thought oh that, that's unusual they're sufficiently different from the stones you know so i'll, I'll book them <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Uh, now the band, uh, in the early days, you were together for, what, five or six years originally? Was it 63 to 68, something like that? But the music that you guys produced during that period was incredible. And I know that um, you wrote songs as well, didn't you, famously? Shape of Things and Over, Under, Sideways, Down, among others as well. Now talk to me about the, the music process within the group, I mean, um, among the band, and how you came up to, to writing these songs. Well, I think I think the best the best lineup of the band, uh, creatively, was the one in... Uh, 66, you know, with Jeff Beck and um, Paul Samuel Smith and myself, Keith and, and Chris, uh, Chris Treyer. And um, that that was a great chemistry within the band. I, and I'd been to school with Paul, so I knew him very well. We'd been mates for a long time. And, um, we, you know, we always had lots of ideas. And, um, you know, working at, in that uh, Five piece with Jeff as well. You know, it, it was a great, great team. And uh, I mean, the evidence is is the you know um, Roger the Engineer album, which is you know accredited as being you know one of the great albums, one of the cult albums, I think of all time. And um, I think I think that's where it all came together, and that, that was great fun doing that. <laughs> 
Absolutely. And was it a collaborative process then? Obviously, you, you wrote songs and others wrote songs. Did you kind of bring it to the table and then you kind of you, you work on it and see where it goes from there? Yeah, it all worked differently. Um, we, we, we had a, a, um, a sort of set time as it was in, the, in those days. You know, we had to produce something in a short period of time. And I think we were booked in for a couple of weeks or something. <laughs> Ridiculous by today's standards. But um, we started off when we did some stuff that we used to play live. So maybe a, a third of it was, was live stuff that we sort of slightly changed for the recording. And then uh, a lot of the other stuff we just came up with in the studio, you know, with all of us together. So <laughs> it was quite amazing how it happened. And we thought, oh, we'll have a bit of fun because we'd never, we'd never done an album like that before. You know, every, every album before was either a live one or a compilation of our, of our hits. So that, that was good fun. So talk to me about then what I've heard you call before the transient members, the, the three guitarists, the, the famous ones that we all know, of course, Eric Clapton, you mentioned Jeff Beck already, there's Jimmy Page as well. They're all very different in styles, in working ways as well. I mean, talk to me about each of those and their influences on the group at the time they were there. Well, yes. I mean, it was a great beginning. Originally, before Eric, there was uh, a guy called Top Topham, uh, who was also from the art school, who was a uh, Kingston art school, who was, uh, you know, very young. And he had to leave because uh, his parents wanted him to study to be an artist, <laughs> you know, I mean, a, a painting artist. And um, so Blackton came in and he, he was like a, a step further on in a way in terms of personality uh, and he was um, you know very conscientious on what he did he was very very keen to play the blues and he would uh, practice you know day after day playing blues solos that he heard and you know copying them and starting them and doing his own and um, yeah so so it, it, it was a good team for a while and then we wanted to sort of Slightly changed the blues slightly because we didn't want to just play the same blues we heard. We wanted to make it our own in a way, make it a bit different. That was where um, I, I guess the For Your Love came in because somebody saw us playing actually with the Beatles at their Christmas show in London, and um, they thought, oh, they they had this demo uh, of For Your Love by Graham Gorman, and they thought, oh, this this was this group, you know, because uh, there's a tempo change in the middle of it, and they're doing all these sort of things. You know? So, um, so we all listened to it, and we all liked it. Except Eric, uh, Eric thought it was too far away from the blues to, uh, you know, to consider even. And um, then he, he also had some other issues with with the band, and he didn't really see eye to eye with a with a lot of the guys. So he moved on, and we we got Jeff. But we, we we asked um, we asked Jimmy Page first of all if he would join because he used to come and see us sometimes, and uh, he he always used to like the band. And um, he he said, "Well, I you know I'm doing a lot of sessions and I'm quite happy doing that. Um, but you, why don't you try my understudy who does some sessions for me, Jeff Beck?" So. No, we tried him and, he, you know, he was immediately a success. Um, he, he was different to Eric. He was uh, very sort of rough and, rough and ready compared to Eric, very, you know, tailored and everything. 
Uh, <laughs> and he sort of had this really long hair and it was, it was covered in uh, sort of grease and oil from one of his cars. You know, we'd been under, <laughs> underneath it, you know, tampering with it. But he was a great player and I, he played a variety of styles and um, it, it really suited us and it suited us for going on, going forward uh, and um, making uh, those blues covers quite different uh, and then doing our own songs. So he, he, he was great and then um, finally it all got too much for him. Um, well, before that, Paul, Paul Samuel Smith um, left because it was a very, uh, it was sort of quite difficult traveling around. He, he got quite stressed, stressed out. And he left because he wanted to become a producer. And um, by that time, Jimmy Page was, was very happy to join the group. <laughs> so he came in and replaced Paul on bass. Um, and for a while he played bass, and then we thought, this is silly, we'll, we'll swap over with Chris. And so Chris went on to bass for a break, and um, so they played lead for a while, uh, and which was, you know, which was very up and down, but sometimes brilliant and sometimes a bit of a mess, but um, <laughs> something, something to remember anyway. Um, and then... In the end, the stress got too much for Jeff, you know, because he was always very, very nervous, very wound up to the guy. Um, and so he, 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 left, he left the group and we were a four-piece until the very end. Absolutely. And incredible, incredible names and stories that you're talking about there. I mean, let's talk about um, going to America, because that wasn't something that people from the UK did in the 60s. And, and you guys went over there. And in fact, you were probably bigger in America than you were here in the UK. Yes, I know. Uh, with the British invasion, you know, quite a big thing. And I remember talking to a few people and they said, oh, this is, this is our dream. Um, to get, you know, other people in other bands. And uh, I think they they did they you know they 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 went if they could and um, yeah we I mean we love we love the sort of going to America I mean all those you know cowboy films <laughs> and <laughs> all those movies you know on the TV or all the sort of uh, um, you know James Cagney films and all all that stuff and then all the music of course you know the blues music and the jazz and and of course, as soon as we got there, we we went in, we were down the jazz clubs and the blues clubs and seeing who, whoever we could. It was so exciting for us. And how different was it from from the UK in the sixties? Was was a pretty difficult place to be, and then you go across to America, and it was, was it a land of milk and honey, as they say, and everything was very different. Well, yeah, exactly. It, it was so huge. I mean, you, I, I remember we had to go for an interview to get our visa at the American embassy. And in those days, you used to go in to, to see the actual ambassador. <laughs> and the ambassador had, a, you're going here, then you're going there. That, that, that's like 5,000 miles, and that's another 1,000. And I didn't thought, oh, my God, where, where am I going? And everything was so huge, you know, and such a, a variety within the country. Absolutely. But it was a very, very time. I mean, very exciting that we got accepted out there. Playing, playing their music, you know, <laughs> that's what it was. 
Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. And what was it like being part of, of, of a British invasion going over? I spoke to a few different people that were around at the time, Colin Blundstone from the Zombies and, and Kenny Jones and things like that, and they're going across to America. And as you say, you, you're basically playing their music back to them, but being received as heroes. Yeah, I know. It's weird because the, the I guess the young white kids, they never got to see the black the black music. And it's on a different circuit. You know, it's all very, very highly segregated or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, they all loved us because we had. Oh, I, I loved your English accent. <laughs> you know, they thought we were different, and uh, you know, we had a, we had a lot of a lot of following. You know, brilliant. And on Vintage Rock Show, we like to hear some of the funny stories as well. Now, um, you played in um, Paris with the Beatles once, didn't you? And ended up breaking Ringo's uh, was it his snare skin? Snare drum skin. Tell us about that. Yeah, one. because we were we were sharing the back line. Uh, we were the uh, we were the only other English band on, and we were playing for them. And they had a lot of French groups like playing jazz and stuff, very strange music, you know. <laughs> and then we were we were uh, on the bill, very nice to be, and we were sharing their their uh, amps and their and their drum kit. And I was playing away, and of course they did, they didn't use to mic up the drums in those days. Yeah, it was very, very, very basic. You might have had one mic somewhere or other, uh, and then you know, because you had to play pretty loud to to play along with uh, with Jeff and Chris and Paul, you know. Uh, and uh, we got uh, we got to the last song, and I looked down, and there there was the I'd gone right through the skin. <laughs> oh no. On Rick's lovely kit, you know, and his lovely original look with kit, and uh, I thought, oh no, I've done a terrible thing now. I was very embarrassed, but uh, of course, it was okay in the end. Ringo sort of shook his fist at me in a, in a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get to hang out with the with the Beatles then? Did you get to spend much time with the guys? No, no, uh, not really. Uh, we, we did a little bit because we played uh, in London, I told you before. We yeah. played at their Christmas show and uh, we, we hung out with them a little bit, but they were, you know, obviously kept to themselves. But um, I remember Paul McCartney coming into our dressing room and saying, Well, you know, I've got this new song. Would you like to hear it? And oh, okay. And uh, so he, he played it and it was yesterday. He, he played us yesterday. He wow. didn't have the. The lyrics, but he he sang it to scrambled egg, like scrambled egg. You know, it was great. I mean, what it was a great experience. Incredible. Amazing. Yeah, rock and roll history. Um, and then just just talking about the end of the Yardbirds. Then obviously it kind of it evolved again, and Jimmy Page uh, took it on to the new Yardbirds, which then quickly became Led Zeppelin, of course. Um, yeah. What was what was your feelings around that time of the, of the group disbanding? Uh, well, we were we were quite relieved, uh, particularly kids Ralph and I. We, you know, we we were um, 
we were very tired, very stressed out, and we we've been playing, you know, day after day really uh, for a long time, and playing the same sort of songs, playing the same music, and it, it wasn't really going anywhere at that time for us because the, the chemistry in the band wasn't quite the same. Um, we, you know, we really missed, I think, Paul, Sam Smith and Jeff. Um, we weren't producing any any new songs and uh, we were being produced by Mickey Most, who brought his own songs into the picture, which were, weren't always that good for us. Um, so it wasn't really going anywhere. So Kenny and I said, well, well, let's do something else. You know, we, we've sort of done it. Um, and Jim, you know, Jimmy and Chris decided to carry on with the band. You know, well, I think Chris fell out afterwards after we, we'd left. So, um, and we were quite happy, Keith and I, to, to get out of it and have a bit of a rest. I mean, looking back on it, we'd had a bit, bit of a long break. It might have worked, but um, there was a lot of pressure on those days to keep, keep going and be in the public eye. Absolutely. And you did a lot of touring, didn't you? It was all about touring for the band. Touring was the name of the game because that was where all the money was. There were no big record sales in those days. Um, not for us, anyway. Um, the, the, the record royalties were very low and the record companies didn't really back you. So, yeah, all the money was on the road. <laughs> So you played and played and played. Absolutely. And then in, in the 90s, you, you kind of got back together, well, yourself and Chris and the Yardbirds came back and you've kind of, you've toured kind of on and off ever since, haven't you really, to keep the, the music alive? Yes, yes, we have. Uh, and uh, yeah, sometimes I feel, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit odd because it's only me left or it was only Chris and I left. But, but at the same time, it's always a very good band. And I think if it's... Uh, if it's great musicians playing a great repertoire, you know that's the point to keep going. And um, so I'm, I'm quite I'm quite happy to do it as long as I'm I'm fit to do it. <laughs> well, I try and keep fit. You know, I, I walk and I play tennis and I've got plenty of fresh air. So. Brilliant. Keeping yourself going is the main thing. Now, um, yeah, you released your autobiography a couple of years ago. Nobody told me. It was uh, loads of great stories in there. Some you've shared with us now and an awful lot more so people can check that out. But you've just released another book, haven't you? Maybe a month or so ago now. Um, she Walks in Beauty. Now, tell us about this one, Jim. Well, I, I did the autobiography, as you said, and I mean, everything was going fine. It was like a great time to, to write and uh, I was very happy with my life, and then all of a sudden everything changed because my wife got cancer and she she passed on, uh, which was last year, which was a great blow for me. Um, <clears throat> and so I pursued, uh, tried to pursue uh, various things, various options to find out what had happened to her, you know, because... I know some people had seen her, uh, a couple of people saw her, and a couple of people um, dreamt about her, you know, since she passed on. So I thought, well, she must be around somewhere. Um, and I'd never done anything like that before, but I I, I took up um, a mediumship course uh, with a woman called Suzanne Geisman, who uh, is a very sort of famous medium in the States, and she actually at one time was uh, an officer in, in the U.S. Navy, 
uh, <laughs> something quite different. And she lost her <laughs> daughter in Iraq who got struck by lightning. And so she decided to become a medium. And so she started a, a course on Zoom. And I thought, well, I'll look into it. And then I learned various procedures how to <clears throat> contact Lizzie, uh, my wife, and uh, it, it worked. I mean, there were quite a, quite a few results. And there was quite a lot of evidence that, that's all in the book. So, uh, and so I go back to the, you know, stuff I've had in the past and sort of various uh, paranormal, uh, you know, uh, things that have happened and, so it's quite, I think it's quite interesting. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It says it's your personal lifelong quest to unravel the mysteries of the life that exists beyond the world in which we live. So definitely very much different to the to the old rock and roll stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is what I'm finding out, you know, everything's sort of getting, uh, getting bigger each day in a way. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And it's called, as we said, She Walks in Beauty. And I'm guessing we can get that on Amazon and all that sort of thing. And maybe your website as well, Jim? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's on a um, publishing called lulu.com. But um, yeah, you can get it on Amazon. Yes, available. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Jim. I uh, wish you best of luck with the book and uh, hopefully get you out on tour again soon. Keep playing tennis, keep the fitness up, and <laughs> we'll, we'll see you back out on the road. Okay. Thanks a lot, Paul. Cheers. There you go, the wonderful Jim McCarty, 78 years young. Although not as flamboyant as some of his contemporaries, his drumming style was highly influential. Some of his tempo changes were brand new and styles he implemented formed the bedrock of rock drumming for years to come. Right now, it's the time of the show to give you my top five songs from this week's guest. Now, remember, this is my personal choice. I don't claim it to be the definitive list. It's very subjective and hopefully can maybe open the doors for some who may not be overly familiar with the person or the band in question. Now, I'm going to be honest with this list. It was one of the most difficult for me to put in order. The amount of times I wrote it down and then moved them around was pretty crazy. I'm still not 100% sure I've got it right. But for the purposes of this, I'm just going to go with it. So here we go, my favourite five songs from the Yardbirds, according to Vintage Rock Pod. My number five comes from the Roger the Engineer album, released in 1966. It has an eastern feel to it, but a pulsy beat too, which Jim McCarty says was inspired by Bill Haley and the Comets' Rock Around the Clock. It became the group's fifth top ten single in the UK and peaked at 13 in the US. And number five is Over, Under, Sideways, Down. At four is a track considered groundbreaking, our first glimpse of the dueling lead guitars of Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page. It's a darker number, again upbeat and pulsating though, described in many ways as the prototype to heavy metal, this psychedelic rock also features a certain John Paul Jones who'd later join Led Zeppelin of course on the bass on this track. At number four is Happenings 10 Years Time Ago. Number three is their first single to break through, hitting number three in the UK and six in the US. It features an interesting chord progression and catchy refrain throughout, except for the more pop stylings of the tempo change midway. It was also the song that heralded the departure of Eric Clapton from the group. And number three is For Your Love. Oh, 
Of two is the follow-up single to For Your Love. Another big hit this. It featured Jeff Beck for the first time, and he used the fuzzbox, which is considered one of the earliest uses of the effect on record, and was the first rock song to really use Indian-inspired sounds ahead of even the Beatles with Norwegian Wood. And number two is Heartful of Soul. And I know, well, if she had me back again, well, I would never make her sad. I'm not a And at number one for me is perhaps not an expected pick, but again, it's a song that I love. It's actually a reworking of a song they covered previously, The Train Kept a Rolling. But it just feels a whole lot heavier and darker, and you know I like that. Beckham Page's dual guitars were fantastic. There was the wall of feedback at the start, the heavier chugging guitars. And I also prefer the fuller vocals from Ralph instead of the disconnected double track on the Train Kept a Rolling. Now this song was recorded especially for the 1966 movie Blow Up. So, my favourite Yardbird song, and the number one song according to Vintage Rock Pod is... Stroll On. So there you go, my favourite five songs from The Yardbirds. As ever, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this list. Where do you agree, disagree? Let me know. Drop me an email, vintagerockpod at gmail.com. And another request from me to say, please, please, if you haven't already, please do subscribe to the Vintage Rock Pod channel on YouTube. I am trying to push it to a 1,000 subscribers that it activates the monetization policy that YouTube has. Until then, any ads that play on the videos, YouTube, keep the money, so it would be nice if I got to have some of that. It is totally free free to subscribe all you gotta do is basically click on a button and that is it i put up a lot of different content on there so you can obviously see the videos you get to see the massive guests i speak to i throw in some short rock stories there's a top fives a couple of quizzes from earlier in the series other bits and bobs too so it's well worth subscribing to just search for vintage rock pod on youtube and hit the red subscribe button obviously check out the social media channels too facebook twitter and instagram to keep up to date with all the vintage rock pod action and some classic rock stuff that I post on there as well. Well, there you go. That's it for episode 49 then. Can't believe we've finished 49 episodes, all with huge name guests on every single one. Episode 50 will be with you in the new year, although I'm planning a couple of specials to be released between now and then. Now, if this is your first listen, then make sure to follow or subscribe to the series on whatever podcast platform you use so that you don't miss any of the new ones that drop. And please do check out the back catalogue of incredible big name guests I've had on the show, a whole host of superstars multi-million sellers, Grammy Award winners, Rock and Roll Hall of Famers. There's so much to enjoy and they all have great rock stories to tell as well involving some legends of our beloved rock world. Well, that's it for me then. Until the next one, remember if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock, just tell them my music is better than yours. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 